BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Oh my God, having funlessness with Jen Kirkman. There is no fun this week. I am sick, but you're getting an episode anyway. If you're a new listener, this is your first time trying out this podcast. I would not start with this one. This is an episode for the diehard, diehards, for the darhards. Oh, I can't even speak. This is an episode for the diehards. I am sick. I sound terrible. I will not be following any kind of format today. I don't know what I'm here to tell you. It's just, I'm going to just try to recall. I'm just, I'm, you know, when your body is sick, like I, I, I'm just going to start the podcast. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do. Do you know when every once in a while you're like, I think I'm getting sick, but you don't have any symptoms. It's, it's sort of a knowing. You think, Okay, I've got these really, these three next weeks are really big weeks. I'm really busy. I have a feeling I'm going to get sick when it's over. You're not trying to manifest it, but at the same time you're thinking, look, I got to get sick sometime, right? It happens for me every couple years. This would be a good, if I'm going to have to get sick this year, this would be a good time to do it. If for some reason, like a menstrual cycle, my body needs this, to pass through in order to come out the other side even better. I don't know if it's some kind of Sunday Sabbath or cleansing ritual that getting sick is every once in a while okay for you, then May 18th would be the best time for that to happen. That's literally what I was saying for months in my head. I even had a um, solo trip booked to Sedona, Arizona that I was supposed to be there now. And I canceled it a month ago because I went, I don't think I'm going to want to get off the road and then go away. Just in case I'm sick, it's going to suck. 
Um, also financially, I had to go to New York for this audition thing. And I, so I had a last minute, like couple thousand dollar expense with like flights and hotels and stuff. So I, I decided to cancel the Sedona trip because I, it just wasn't in the budget. Um, this is what I'm talking about. New listeners. I just blew my nose on a podcast. I don't, I don't have a cough button here at my house. Okay. So what went on in the world of funlessness this week? <coughs> well, I mean, so this is what my point is. When, when, when all of the crap just needs to come out, this episode is just crap that needs to come out. Things that have been bothering me that I just want a platform for. And then I might read a little bit of the Michael Cohen testimony that unredacted that just came out because it's amazing. So... And I'll tell you about some shows I've been binge watching. First of all, I'm doing shows. So I have a, a, I have a special going on called August in advance or advanced August, or I don't fucking know it, but you get, you get the idea. If you buy tickets to my shows in August in advance, you get my comedy album, Just Keep Living, which is technically my Netflix special, but the album has 17 minutes of bonus material where I take you through the behind the scenes of the jokes. And so that's normally $10. You will get it free. It's a download card uh, when you walk into the box office at said venue. Uh, even if you already have your ticket, there'll be an area you can go. It might We'll figure it out the night of it. It might be a little separate table or the box office, but there's an area you can go. They'll have a list of names with the download card and you'll get your card. So you just have to send a proof of purchase to iseemfun at gmail.com. That's right. Don't use, that's the email address I want you to use, iseemfun at gmail.com. And um, I will make sure that once you send your proof of purchase that your name is on the list, you'll get your download card. So these shows are Minneapolis um, on Saturday, August 10th. And then for uh, <clears throat> Nashville, Thursday, August 15th, Alabama, Friday, August 16th, and Athens, Georgia, uh, Saturday, August 17th. So, of course, the Twitter police are out. I mean, if I can't complain about... Ricky Gervais does a Netflix special complaining about people on Twitter like a fucking noob rube. I mean, that A is not funny. You're a grown, wealthy, famous man. Ignore Twitter, please. My, people at my level still can't ignore Twitter because I literally lose sales every day because of Twitter because the Twitter police come out. It, so everyone was like, how dare you with the abortion laws? How dare you do shows in Alabama? How dare you do shows in Georgia? You should boycott those states. Okay. This is, this is my diatribe on the foolishness of a solo female performer boycotting those states. Now, a lot of people get tax breaks for filming their TV shows in Atlanta. And uh, it's, it's a huge industry there. Most of my friends who are on TV shows are in Atlanta right now. Um, so a lot of production companies are halting production in Atlanta. I think a lot of people, first of all, think that every single person 
involved in a production has any control over it. You know, it's like thinking that the cashier at Walmart has any say in what the billionaire CEO running it does. And you expect her to quit when it's a job she needs. It's the same way in show business. But even the people that are running the production, you don't always get to choose. So there are some people who are pulling their productions out of Atlanta. And then the smaller productions, people give them shit. But it's like, they might not be able to afford to even do it in California. And the whole issue is, and I have to give a shout out to the talking points of Arnold Schwarzenegger's run for governor here in California was, I will bring Hollywood back to Hollywood. And people will stop running to Vancouver and Atlanta for tax breaks. I don't think it happened. <clears throat> Actually, I'm not sure. I don't know if it helped at all, if he helped it at all or didn't. But it's certainly not always cost-effective to film here. So anyway, all of that aside, the boycott, the entertainment industry boycott issue is about giant productions where the state makes a lot of money off of the production being there. One solo performer who is on pace to maybe make a few thousand dollars that night and then from that few thousand dollars, there's food, hotel, travel, agent fees, publicist. Like the person, no one is getting rich in that scenario. People are only paying bills for that month. If I cancel those gigs in August and I haven't had gigs in, in June and July, I don't pay my bills in August. I go into debt. I debt against my savings. And people want me to do that because dot, 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 why? Let's follow, let's follow the track of the revolutionary thinking. Well, then that's fine. Go into your little month-long debt, with, you know, and you can't pay your bills. Go into it. See, and that, that cosmically, pun, you know, those guys, those women and guys who, who put those abortion laws, which don't take effect until 2020, they, there's still time to do something. But those guys and gals, guys and gals, who did that, who put it into law, like, yeah, everything gets fucked up. When, when that kind of thing happens, like you lose money, the, the whole thing gets fucked up, but then you're not going to play in their state. And it's like, wait a minute, you're just now babbling and want everything to blow up. But as, as usual with these revolutionary types, these, these people who wanted, well, if, if Bernie doesn't win, we'll write his name in. And then if Trump wins, we'll have a revolution. No one's having a revolution except the people who are suffering. This is exactly, if you rewind my podcast two years and I was begging people not to vote third party, this is the revolution you're getting. You're still in your, you know, throne of white male straightness and everyone else is suffering. Women, people of color, women of color, Muslims, this, that. Everyone is suffering but you. And you're sitting there thinking, ha ha, this revolution is happening. All you're seeing is suffering. That's what you're seeing happening. No one, the revolution has always been happening and it's always been being led by women, gays, people of color. You're not, you've never been in the revolution. You've maybe had a photo op or two at some marches. Congrats, not a revolution. So let me tell you something. Let me tell you what is a revolution. Is being a voice for people who don't feel they have one or don't want to have one. A revolution starts in many areas. One area is when we take reproductive rights away from women. And let's stop. I, I hate that it's being framed around abortion or not abortion. A woman's uterus, a woman's body 
I have a reproductive system in my body, whether I use it or not, whether I like it or not. So I need to get help with my reproductive system quite often simply because I have one, not because I'm aborting a baby and not because I'm having a baby, because it's just a thing in my body and it has everything to do with everything else that goes on in my body. When you cancel abortion, it's never as clean as, oh, no, 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 you totally have healthcare and all this stuff. We just don't want this one thing, which by the way, has been settled law for over 40 years. So it's absurd to keep coming after abortion. It's a wedge issue. It's a fake moral outrage issue. So, but let's just take abortion off the table. When you go to a Planned Parenthood or you go to a women's health clinic, you're going there to, first of all, get educated, get birth control. A lot of people use birth control pills for a million issues in their reproductive system that have nothing to do with preventing a birth. There are lesbians on birth control. Do you understand me? It's a part of our body. People have cysts. People have endometriosis. People have this. People have that. There's a million things. When you take funding away, you take it away for everything. Women have less health. Women already have a shittier time in the healthcare system because every stat and every test that's ever been performed has been performed with a man's body in mind. Our issues are treated as just, uh, just separate, just uh, they don't count. That's why women were called hysterical if they thought they were sick or whatever. So to backtrack, how can people look at women like that? Well, they don't see us as humans, right? We're just a a slab of wood that they project all of their hatred and fear onto. They don't see us as human. Well, how can we humanize women? Well, one way is we can be represented in every area of the world, whether it's the arts, whether it's more women in government, women doctors, women this, women that, and we're getting there and we're, we're doing it. As a woman in the arts, in comedy, and everyone... Everyone make your ears get bigger because this is, this is the thing that only any guy who ever interviews me wants to talk about. Being a woman in comedy. It's called being a woman in the world. If there's sexism in the world, then there's sexism in comedy. That's what it's like being a woman in comedy. It's like being a woman in the grocery store or on a dark street late at night. You are always aware of where you might be getting judged, pigeonholed, evaluated, whatever. So unfortunately in 2019, the very act of being a woman who talks on stage, just even if I just talk about gumdrops, nothing of importance, it is teaching men to see me as a human. I am humanized in front of the men. A lot of men at my shows have never seen a woman perform. I think that's important. I can't explain to you. Again, I've been doing comedy for 23 years. In my mind, the attitudes about women in comedy have not changed at all. It may seem that way, but it's like saying attitudes about race have changed because we have a, had a black president. 
Like sometimes people break through and they reach the highest achievement. You've got your Tina Fey's and your Amy Schumer and your Chelsea Handler. And like that's great. But we've had that before. We've had your Carol Burnett and your Laverne and Shirley and your Golden Girls. We've had women be famous before and make the whole world laugh. It's not new. Gilda Radner, Lucille Ball, Joan Rivers, Moms Mabley. We've had this. That doesn't mean that all the little layers underneath have been solved. All the little tissues running through all the little muscles of our minds have been solved. It doesn't mean that men inherently give women a chance when they see them on stage. It doesn't mean that men still don't think, oh, this is woman stuff. We need to be out there on every level. And I fill a void on a certain level. So I'm coming to Alabama to play a 200-seat venue. I mean, honestly, my issue is like, thought I'd be further along in my career. I mean, I was. I thought the show would be sold out within two seconds of announcing it. You know, I thought we'd be adding show upon show. (coughs) That's what used to happen when I would play smaller venues. So ain't nobody getting rich on this. But I've never performed in Birmingham, Alabama. I've been hearing for years that it's a great comedy city. So I'm going. Because I'm going to add my voice, just like the men do, to the conversation. So all these people on Twitter were telling me, you're a horrible person, you should cancel these gigs. The state gets about 40 bucks. When I perform, I have like, I'm also a corporation. They're not just paying me. Like they pay it to my corporation. So there's different tax things. And I usually just have to pay about 40 bucks for performing in that state. So the state might get 40 bucks. But what also will happen is a woman's voice will be amplified. Men will get to see a woman be a human. Even the good men might learn even a little bit more at my shows. I can have representatives from Planned Parenthood standing there with a booth and you can make donations and I can maybe, I don't want to have to get into donating part of my salary because I actually can't fucking afford it. And I usually do one big show a year that's for charity. Like last year I went to Oklahoma City. I made the whole thing for, um, or it was two years ago, I made the whole thing for Planned Parenthood. My, My Christmas show gets donated. So, you know, maybe I'll do a portion of my merchandise. Who knows? I'm going to figure something out. I might have people uh, there to help you sign up to register to vote. But, you know, it's not a big place. It's only 200 people. So we're not saving the world, but we're being conscientious while we do a show. But there's a lot of people that live there that probably would like to laugh. And there's a lot of women there that would probably like someone to roll through town that represents them. Even if we don't agree on anything, I am literally a woman standing there. Now you might go, well, then why why wouldn't you vote for Sarah Palin? Well, okay. There's a limit to how much we don't agree with someone. I would say within reason, the women coming to see me are probably like-minded, give or take a few things. But they feel represented by me up there. Even if every other topic, they might be like, oh, I don't quite see it that way. It's not as extreme as, yes, they would go see Sarah Palin. So... That's what I'm doing. I believe I'm doing, first of all, not a good or bad thing, just a neutral thing, just my huge going out on the road. No one is telling the men to stay home and not do comedy. I've seen guys advertising their gigs in Alabama and Georgia, and not one person has come after them. Then a bunch of dudes, an an almost hysterical amount of dudes, 
started writing, well, you could use this opportunity to do your act about the laws. I'm like, excuse me. So, so let me get this straight, dude on Twitter. You're really upset that the government is trying to control women's bodies. So the way that you're helping that is getting on Twitter and suggesting to a woman what she's going to do with her career, with her act, with her words that come out of her brain and her mouth. You would like to tell her what she should say that would make it okay for her to perform in that state that you don't even live in. You don't see the irony there of controlling women? You don't see that at all. And most don't because most men who behave like this have zero self-awareness and are complete ignorant buffoons. Everyone getting into politics for the first time has to take a fucking backseat when it comes to using your mouth. (laughs) I mean, it's just hilarious to tell a fucking middle-aged woman who's been fighting this shit since she was a teenager how she should respond. Now, I can always learn more. I can always be more intersectional. I can always realize this. Of course. But no white man that just got into politics is going to help me with anything. Sorry to be so closed-minded, but it's actually just knowing my place when someone doesn't know theirs. And my place is that I don't have to listen to what that person is saying. So my, my job actually is not to go to Alabama and Georgia and do material that doesn't come natural to me about abortion laws. I've never done abortion jokes in my 23 years. I've never done jokes about laws. Well, maybe it's time to start. Okay. So if I'm a heart surgeon and there's suddenly a skin cancer epidemic, I have to be a skin cancer. There's a, everyone has their time and their place and everyone is contributing in their own way. Twitter is where I go to unfunnily spread some facts, go there with some anger, talk about these things. My act is my act. It's whatever I feel like talking about. (coughs) If for some reason, between now and then, I do find a funny way to talk about this stuff, great, it gets in. If it doesn't, it fucking doesn't. It's like if I'm writing for the TV show uh, uh, Family Guy, uh, am I suddenly going to do, well, I don't watch the show and it's animated, so that's a bad example. The reason I say animated is a bad example because episodes kind of can go anywhere. But if I'm, uh, you know, Mike and Molly or whatever, are we suddenly going to do an episode where Molly is in Alabama trying to get an abortion? No, the, you do the show. My show is my show. And the most feminist thing I can do is not listening to dudes on Twitter telling me that now my job is to come to that state, not be funny and educate. They go, you need to go off on the men in the audience. Oh yeah, that feels safe. Yeah, that's a normal thing to tell a woman to do. You really have your finger on the pulse of women's issues. Why don't I travel alone somewhere, vulnerably on stage, in states where people can be armed, and yell at men, tell them it's their fault, especially the men that bought a ticket to my show who clearly aren't those kind of men. Let me just scream at them. But just in case there are some men who really hate women in the audience, let me go off on them. I have a microphone. They don't. That won't piss them off at all. I mean, you got to, the audience has to fucking laugh. The audience can like you all you want, all they want. But there's a moment where if you're not making them laugh, they're done with you. And they're not coming back the next time. 
you can't assume that every woman there is sitting there wanting a, a monologue about the abortion laws. That's not why women go out at night. And men don't always take well to being yelled at in public. Surprise, surprise. Who does? So this notion that I'm suddenly just going to be someone I'm not, and that's the only acceptable way I can roll through town, is complete lunacy. You have to see on paper how stupid that is. What I will be doing is what I always do. Come to town and do my act, which, which is unfortunately in and of itself a feminist act these days, still unfortunately. Second, again, I am a woman telling her life, telling her stories. Men are laughing and relating. In their DNA, they are walking away going, I relate to her. That's good for society. I think it's one of the most important things. And I used to not think comedy had any important role. But it's not just, and I've learned this, and I'm embarrassed that I only learned it recently because I've always sort of known this. I I remember from reading... um, and again, we all know she's now, I mean, Roseanne's mentally ill. I, I think we should all like really take that into consideration that this isn't just like someone who went right wing. She's sick. And I can say that with authority. But in her first memoir, she talked about how, how much trouble she had getting the first Roseanne on the air. And that the showrunners at the time said to her, the producers or somebody, why, don't, why doesn't the show be told through DJ's point of view, the, the little son, the character? I don't even remember he was on the show. They wanted everything, like almost like, isn't there a show where it's like all from the family dog's point of view or something? You know, like they wanted it through his point of view. And Roseanne was like, but it's a show about a housewife, which is what I am, and I am the creator, and it's called Roseanne, and it's from my point of view. And they were like, oh, that might be too much. Their argument that a little boy's point of view is, Relatable as, as Hannah Gadsby says in her special, being a man is is thought of as human neutral, and anything else is thought of as the other. When I am up there talking about myself, and men laugh and they don't think of me as an other, that's healing. Whether they know it or not, whether they came in already going, oh no no, I don't feel separate from a woman performer. Like she's not just a sex object to me or something different. It doesn't matter. I think it's such a big fucking deal. So anyway, I've always known about this because I remember reading about that in Roseanne's biography. I've always been angry about it. And then a few years ago when Trump was elected, I thought, well, comedy's not important. We, we really like, we've just, our, our right to laugh has been taken away. We've got too much work to do. I don't want to be a distraction. And then it went into, oh my God, we are all doing so much work. Maybe a little distraction is okay. And then it morphed into, okay, sure, all of that. And then also, yeah. This is important stuff to, to just be another voice, let men come see me, be a human in front of men. And this particular year, I've had more men in my audience than I've ever seen. And I don't know why it's happening. I don't think it's anything I'm doing. It's just happening. And what's interesting is this year, I'm actually doing a lot of bits about men, but they're for men to hear. And it's about how we all relate and it's about what it's been like to grow up as a girl. And it's, there's, there's no proof of this material anywhere. It's not on any specials. It's not on a podcast. It's just in my head. And no one sees it until I get to town. And weirdly, I've 
walked on stage in each city and been like, this is like 60% met. And no one is upset. And when they leave the shows, I can't believe, like when teenage boys line up to meet me to, and then you might go, oh, they have a crush on you. I don't, a lot of them don't. A lot of them are gay. It's not that. When they actually love my comedy, I cannot, it blows my mind. It warms my heart. It makes me cry. I feel so, I don't know, blessed because it's not anything I've done. I mean, it is. I did the, I don't know. I'm just, I'm so lucky they even tell me. I'm lucky that it just happens. I'm lucky for the world changing to where they think that's okay to come see a woman. So when I say comedy hasn't changed in 23 years, attitudes haven't changed. What I mean is, We haven't turned everyone around. We've created new people with great attitudes in that time. But the old attitudes are still there. And it's still a huge poison. So that's what I mean. Is it getting better? Well, sure. There's always new people entering the world. There's always new people entering a certain scene. You know, new people are coming to comedy. Um, So it's great. But the old attitudes are still there. And they're there not just from old guys, but they're there with young men. You know, like... <clears throat> let's say, um, here's an interesting thing that's been happening at my shows. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of like 21-year-olds. And I'm like, how do you know about me? And they'll be like, we watched you on Chelsea lately seven years ago when we were teenagers and we've been waiting to be old enough to go to a club. And I think that's fantastic. So, but with every 21-year-old who's new to going out and new to going to comedy, who's awesome, there's also shitty ones that have the same old attitudes as their dads and the same bad attitudes about women. So <coughs> that's what I'm saying is it, it's getting better at the same time that more bad people are also being made. It's always that epic struggle. It's like one step forward, two steps back or one step forward and one step back or everyone steps forward at the same time and it's just the same amount of assholes and the same amount of good people are marching next to each other in our two different camps on this earth. I mean, I think there's more good than bad people. I truly believe that. But attitudes and being a good person aren't, they're not, uh, you can still be a good person with a bad bad attitude about women's stuff. (laughs) Every late night host. Actually, I really don't mean that. Um, I'm more talking like your Bill Mars and your whatever's. I really want to blow my nose. Hang on. Sorry, guys. So, there's that. Um, So, that's what I'll be doing. And it would mean the world if people would come to those shows. And hopefully, if you get tickets in advance, hopefully you're incentivized by my little download card proposal. Um, also, oh, so yeah, that, that's my diatribe about that. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Uh, there was another one about something. Shit. What was it? Something else happened that was annoying. See, this is what happens when I'm sick. I can't remember anything. Oh, I guess it was the, uh. Yeah, the um, the the Georgia Alabama thing. 
my God, I've lost my mind. I knew I should have written this down. See, I, I told you. Well, hang on. I, I don't even want to pause this because I know if I pause it, I'll never come back to it. Oh, oh, this was the other one. So I'm on the road last week, right? And I got to stop doing this. It's, it's, it's driving me crazy. I'm actually, it's so funny. I go through these phases where I don't like comedy clubs. I do like comedy clubs. And it has nothing to do with comedy clubs. The thing that annoys me about them is a lot of times it's like 50% of the crowd is your fan base. And the other people just like frequent that club and they like comedy in quotes. They don't like, they don't think, they don't know enough about the art form to know that every act is, that every act is different, that there are types of comedy. And so they'll go, they'll see you, they'll, they'll say, you're not funny when really what they're trying to say is this is not my type of comedy, but, but nobody thinks about that. It's, it's so bizarre. We always say this comparison. You don't just walk into a place and go, I'm going to see music and then not know what kind of music it is and then scream and yell that that isn't music when it's like, well, you wanted to see country music and you went to see death metal. It is music. It's just not your type of music. You know, hang on one sec. Okay. So that's one annoying thing. The other annoying thing is then you have to be in the same place for a few days, which actually isn't that annoying. Like it's nice to not have to move around too much, but it feels like old after a day. You do a Thursday night show, you're like, we get it. You do a Friday early show, you're like, oh my God, am I still in the city? Friday late show, no one wants to be here. You know, then you're at the Saturday show, it's like, oh my God, what is this, a residency? How long have I been in this city? It just seems stupid. Um, <coughs> and most comedy clubs are way too big. So you're trying to like fill a 350 seat room five times a weekend. It's like, well, not, I mean, no one's going to do that, you know? So it's just annoying and <coughs> a lot of times the way they like to do things is I hate the way they drop people's check in the middle of the show and then everyone has to stop and pay their bill and you have to be cognizant of that when you're in like the height of your set. It's just not a theatrical experience and I believe that comedy is theatrical and so it feels like you're performing in a restaurant because basically you are. And, you know, when I do a theater show or a rock club show, People can get up and like go get a drink if they want, but the room en masse isn't all like pulling out their phones to give themselves some light to look at their checks and do the tip in their head as I'm like, oh my God, this is the penult penultimate moment where I tie it all together. <clears throat> and then a lot of times, you know, they have two opening acts and now 45 minutes has gone by before I even get on and no one cares. I mean, I don't mean to be rude. They're always funny, but if you've come to see me, and <clears throat> you came to the late show. Now I don't go on until 11. It's just, it's annoying. But at the same time, what's also annoying is flying to St. Louis two hours before the show, then do the show, then do a meet and greet right after the show. Like I get off stage, I jump to the meet and greet and people are, you know, they're lovely, but it can be annoying sometimes. Like I can't hear very well because they're playing music or people are nervous or they'll be like, my name's Brandy. And I'm like, can you spell it? I'm not judging your name. I'm not thinking about how it should be spelled. They'll be like, you know, the usual way. I'm like, I don't know what that is. Just say letters to me. Like, I'm not even comprehending that your name is Brandy. I literally just got off stage. I'd actually like to be alone. But if I don't jump to the merch table, I won't sell my merch and I need it because I need to push books. 
because it'll help me get a third book deal and I'm trying to make merchandise money. Like this is all a business happening right now and it fucking blows, you know? And some venues are really, like comedy club venues are always amazing. The staff knows what to do. Rock club venues, you've just got a bunch of young guys that are usually stoned, not knowing what's happening. And I'm like, I need someone at the table helping me sell. And then people like won't even give me a minute to like, get my iPad running so I can get the square reader. And I'm like, okay, so can you spell your name B-R-A-N-D? And they're like, I. And I'm like, I'm sorry, why or I? They're like, it should be why, but it's an I, but my mother did this. I'm like, I'm not judging. I just didn't fucking hear you. Like it, and I always say, you don't understand. This isn't a, there's no thoughts right now in my head. You just have to spell letters. I just got off stage. They're like, no, I know. And then they start going into some whole thing about how they understand. And then they say 10 things that make me realize they don't understand. And then, you know, or someone comes along, they're like, you're working so hard here. And they just throw me $10. I'm like, don't tip me. I will never accept a tip. Like, it's, it's a hell. It's a hell doing the one-off shows. And then you're back in your hotel room at 11, <clears throat> if you're lucky. And then it's like I'm up by 7 a.m. to get on a train. So then I took a Amtrak train, a six-hour ride to Kansas City. Okay, so when I have a travel day that's also a show day, it can be tough because I'm cranky from the traveling because I'm a woman while traveling while woman. It's never not, especially, I hate to say it, America, but it really does jump into my mind when I'm not in your New York's, your LA's. When I'm in the Midwest, oh man. So do I notice being treated differently as a woman? So I'll give you an example. Driving to the, now again, I told you this episode was going to be complaining because I'm sick and I'm cranky. So don't come at me with all your meh, meh, meh. And I, I took this to Twitter and literally every single woman agreed with me by hundreds. <clears throat> Only men were like, well, maybe there's another way to look at it. No, oh, God. <clears throat> men love to look at feminism 14 different ways. The one thing they never want to look at 14 different ways is their reaction to feminism. Interesting, isn't it? So I am uh, taking to Amtrak to Kansas City. I'm already like... Do famous comics have to do this? You know, and then I, then I talked to myself, Jen, you're the Henry Rollins of comedy. You're the, you're the cool person. I mean, Keanu Reeves would take a train. You know, I have to like do that to like soothe myself. Because <laughs> so I'm getting on the Amtrak. Now, I, I buy my own books at a discount and then I have them shipped to each city. That's how it works. Simon & Schuster allows me to do that. Then I sell them and then everybody's happy. But I pay for the shipping. And so I did the cost analysis and it was actually cheaper to have them all shipped to St. Louis and then take the rest, since I wasn't getting on a plane the rest of the trip, like take some in my suitcase on the Amtrak and then I had a rental car the next day. So, you know, so I brought like a big, it's it's the away luggage. It's the biggest suitcase they have. It's silver. It's like, you know, if you're going to Europe for a week kind of suitcase. I have my show clothes in there and I have my books. Um, It's heavy, but it's like, it's still, you know, normal size heavy. It's just a big suitcase. So what I love is like when Lyft and Uber drivers don't think they're going to have to pick up a suitcase and they just get out and open the trunk and walk back in their car. I'm like, oh, I see. That's how we're doing it. So this guy picks me up. He opens his trunk. And the suitcase is kind of too heavy for him. 
and I, it may or may not be emasculating. I'm not getting the signs. So I said, let me help you. We can do this together. And we did it together, but he just started criticizing the suitcase and it's too heavy. And what am I doing with the suitcase and all this? And I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I wasn't late to get to the train, but in other words, <clears throat> the train was leaving at 9.15 and it was now 10 of 9. <clears throat> and I, I've had ha- situations before <clears throat> where I've missed an Amtrak because even though you get to the station at 9, there's so much going around and going over here that like you kind of don't get to the train in time. So I said to the guy, I, I'm, I'm just running. He's like, how's your day going? And he was like slowly walking back into the car and like almost stopping outside the car to ask me how my day was going. I said, and I just rushed into the car. I go, I'm super stressed. I'm really late. Like just trying to give all the body language of someone who might want to step on the fucking gas or at least get in the car. So he gets in the car and he's like, okay, ma'am. Okay, ma'am. He goes, okay. Uh, where are you going? I said, well, I, I don't know if this happens to women to men. But when you get a Lyft or an Uber, it, you tell them where you're going. You put the address in. Every guy whose car I get into, the women Uber drivers don't do this. And I'm saying Uber, Lyft interchangeably. I usually use Lyft. <clears throat> the guys will go, can you tell me where you're going? And I'll tell them and I'll say, oh, did it not show up in the thing? They'll go, no, it, something came up here, but I want to make sure it matches. Why? I mean, I get why, but it just seems like they want to talk. I swear to God, it doesn't feel right in my bones Like, I feel like I'm being manipulated in that moment. Something feels weird. So the guy was like, where are you going? I'm like, well, doesn't it say? He's like, yeah, the the Amtrak. I go, yeah. He goes, okay. I'm like, okay. I don't know what conversation we're having. I'm like, we should start driving though. So he starts driving (coughs) and there's no one on the road because it's, you know, it's Kansas. It's St. Louis at whatever in the morning. And... He's driving and like the light will be green and he'll be like slowing down towards it. I'm like, oh, we got to get through that light. Oh, I'm doing that in the backseat. So he starts like smiling and laughing and men do this all the time when a stressed woman is in the car. It's like um, almost condescending as though they've never been late, which maybe they haven't. Maybe they don't have important lives. But he slows down and starts driving Because he's driving slow because he's looking at me through the rearview mirror the whole time. This has happened a lot. People go, oh, you're so beautiful. It's nine in the morning. I got no makeup on a hat. Like they don't know me. They don't think I'm famous. It's just what they do to women. Doesn't have to be attractive women. Doesn't have to be famous women. It's just what happens. It's holding someone's time hostage. They feel entitled to it. They don't even know why because we are not humans. Hence, what I am doing, the very existence of me in that car is going on a tour humanizing my fucking gender for men. Do you understand? It's all tied in. So I'm sitting in the car. He's looking at me through the rearview mirror and he's like, so where are you from? And I'm like, you, I said, I, I'm too stressed to chit chat. I really have to get there. And you're not looking at the road. He's like, oh, don't worry. I know how to drive. And I'm like, can you just please go? And he's like, so you live here? I go, no, please. And he's like, what's in the suitcase? Everyone obsessed with the suitcase. So finally he gets me to the Amtrak station. He pulls in and he stops and he goes, that's the train. I go, oh, I get off here. Okay. And I start to open there. He goes, no, you don't get out here. And I go, well, you just showed me. I go, go. He goes, I just wanted you to see you didn't miss it. I go, I know I didn't miss it, but I'm good to pull into the station. I go, where do you pull? And then he just, the car is stopped. 
the car is stopped and he's laughing and looking at me in the rearview mirror. I go, where, where do you drop people off at the station? I literally said, pretend I'm a man. Where do you drop me off? And he understood what that meant. And he pulled up to the front door of the station. I said, he goes, this is where you get off. I go, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I took all my stuff. Then there was a, a dude looking at him. Like there was just a guy sitting outside the station smoking and this guy's energy totally changed. Like he went around back. He lifted the suitcase. He was like doing this big show in front of the guy because I thought we were going to do our thing where I helped him with it. He was like, hands off. I got it. I got it. And I was like, interesting. So then as I walked away, I said to the guy, this was too heavy for him when he picked me up. But this, I said, thanks for being here. I didn't have to carry my own suitcase because he was, he wanted you to see that. Guy had no idea what I was talking about. So then I get to the train and I bought business class, not to brag. But I wanted my free coffee and I wanted to have definite um, outlets because I was writing and working. And uh, business class St. Louis to Kansas City is the, it's really like coach anywhere else. So the whole train seemed coach. Like, and Amtrak is not that, I love Amtrak, but their business and first class these days are like, it's just shanty town. So anyway, the, the guy outside the train is going, uh, everyone get on this train, blah, blah. And there's this long line. And I'm like, oh, usually there's a separate line for business class. So I ran down to the end of the train and there was just this conductor there. And I said, I said, I bought a business class ticket. Is there a business class on this train? Because literally there are only three cars. It wasn't a long train. He goes, yeah, there's a business class on this train. And he just stares at me. I go, oh, could you please tell me where it is? He goes, it's right here where I'm standing. I go, oh, okay. I didn't know. I'm going to, I'm going to get on then. And I get on and he sees my suitcase and he goes, why do you have that? And I go, I'm traveling for many days and I work and my work is in my suitcase. And he was like, and he didn't help me with it. In New York City, oh my God, that's like all they do is help you with your suitcase and you tip them and it's a whole thing. And so I had to like lift it myself. And it's this other passive aggressive thing, which is like make women suffer. Like I'm not like, oh, feminism means you don't help someone with a suitcase. Like if you're more muscular and bigger than someone, whether it's woman, man, man, woman, gender, neutral, just help someone like, or two people is better than one. But like usually when I go to places of transportation, usually the people that, you know, so this other conductor was like, what are you doing? Like this other conductor was literally like, why isn't anyone helping you? I said, I don't know. I I don't know. And he was like, here, let me get this. And so that other conductor walks away and the mean conductor, I goes, this business class? And he goes, yeah. I go, okay. And I sit down and the car's getting really crowded. And then I hear the conductor make an announcement like business class is over there. And I'd gone like an hour, not in business class, which is fine. So I decide to move and I tell this other conductor, oh, I was told this was business class. And the, the mean guy is staring at me. I go, you told me this was business class, but it's not. And he just didn't say anything. He just stared like like a killer, just stared stone cold at me. So I walk my suitcase to the next car and it is a little better, more room. And uh, I'm trying to decide. There's a seat next to the window with a plug, but there's no tray. And my whole point is I need to plug in and use my computer. Um, and then there's a guy sitting behind me. He looks spitting image, Pete Buttigieg or whatever. <clears throat> and... Uh, I'm sort of deciding between that and uh, the conductor that was helping me was like, here she is with her big steamer trunk full of clothes and she can't decide which seat's more comfortable, like like little princess in the pea. And I was like, 
No, it's actually not full of clothes. It's full of books. I'm an author and I'm trying to decide which seat is better for working in. And then the guy that's sitting alone goes, well, you don't have to be afraid of me. I don't bite. Classic. I'm like, it's not about you. I'm not thinking about you. Although I'm always thinking about what the man next to me is or isn't going to do. But like also you telling me you're not going to bite makes me want to sit next to you even less. Because, oh God, men have no idea what bad guys say, do they? Every bad guy is like, I won't bite. I'm a nice guy. You can't, that, those words are neutral. They've been neutralized by psychopaths. You can't say that anymore. You have to learn allied language. Allied language is, how can I help you? I won't talk to you. Uh, you can put your cord, you can plug it in over here, you know, whatever. Fucking idiot. So I end up sitting next to the guy because I need the tray. And I don't end up having to plug my computer in for the rest of the trip. <clears throat> and as I sit down, the guy goes, hi, I'm Alex. Nice to meet you. And I just gave him the thousand yard stare. And I went, Jen. And I didn't shake his hand. And I didn't say nice to meet you because it's not nice to meet you. I don't give a fuck. I'm just on a train for two hours trying to type. So <clears throat> that's that. But it was like all this. And then I get off the train. They're like, here she is with all the clothes. It's not, you would not say that to a man. So then I get in a car, I have headphones on, and I'm listening to uh, voicemails. And I'm actually about to have a call with my agent because I had an idea on this book thing I'm doing and I wanted to tell him. And I get in the Uber on the way to this venue and I'm literally like pressing something on my phone. I have my headphones in. This guy goes, where are you from? I go, I'm on the phone. And he just keeps talking. And I get on the call and the guy is just talking, like literally talking while I'm talking. And I know you guys go give him a bad rating, do this, do that. I get it. But it doesn't solve the problem of where does this come from? So I, in the past, I've told guys I know that I don't like when the drivers talk. And it's not a driving Miss Daisy thing, like, don't talk to me. It's a they can't treat women normal. So it's like being hit on for 20 minutes and it's uncomfortable and, or being on a date that I didn't know I was on. Like, and, uh, my guy friends go, Oh, just wear headphones. Like it's adorb, bedorb that guys actually think that a, we haven't thought of that and that B we aren't wearing headphones. So I put a thing on Twitter about this phenomenon and every woman was like, Headphones don't help. I've had a guy yank them out of my ears at the gym. I've had headphones on in a book and a guy going, why don't you want to talk to me? They follow me around the city. They talk to me in Uber, in bars. It never stops. They're, and so it's not sexual harassment. It's men feeling entitled to our time, which is a phenomenon. It's a sexism thing. It's a gender thing. Ba ba ba. You can say it doesn't exist, but you could also say I'm a fucking asshole. So you might as well just say that. So that's what it is. And it's a phenomenon that is not covered in any kind of harassment. So when, whenever I complain about it, someone from Lyft always writes me, if you feel unsafe, call this number. I'm like, I'm totally safe. What I'm experiencing is being a woman in the world and sexism every second. It's not always unsafe. It's just in general, I'm seeing the attitude that I'm not a person, that I am just there for them to do whatever. And I know small talk happens to everyone. I'm not talking about small talk because a lot of men wrote me back. Women do this more than men. I get small talked. 
listen, hometown Annie, the middle-aged mom who's driving the lift, where are you from? Oh, gosh, golly, I've had that too. That annoys another one of my senses. <clears throat> but what I was specifically saying was, I get in a car with headphones on, I'm on a business call, and men have told me I was rude, or they've given me a bad rating, or they continue to talk, or they act all offended. It's never happened with a woman driver, and I doubt the men writing me in my Twitter honestly have had that same experience with a man treating them that way. My point was men treat women differently. Not sometimes a man gets in a car and a woman small talks him. That's not the conversation I was having. <clears throat> it's your little anecdote about the one time that... Listen, Larry David, he's there for us all. We can watch Curb Your Enthusiasm when we all want to feel like we are the victims of other people being annoying. Everyone's annoying. Men, women, gay, straight, trans, everybody's fucking annoying. That is not the point. I'm talking about the specific phenomenon of not sexual harassment, but very gendered men to women, our time, our bodies, our minds, our free time is not our own. If a man wants it, he will take it. And that includes ripping our headphones out at the gym and continuing to talk at us in a Lyft or an Uber when you know he would respect a man who's on a business call. In fact, if you go to any car service website, or you Google businessman in a car. It's always a picture <coughs> of a guy sitting in a backseat talking on a phone. That's like international for business. And then some guy gets on Twitter and writes, maybe you don't have to have phone calls during that time and be so rude. It's like, no, no, I'm on a deadline for an idea and my agent's in New York and my train was late and this was the time I had in the car at that moment. Like, it's not rude to live your life and hire a car service and... Be friendly. Like, I order the car. I'm standing exactly where I said I was. I make on eye contact. I say hello. I say I'm sorry. I am on the phone. I talk quietly. I tip 30% always. I get out. Like, I've done what I can do to be a good person. I do not owe a man conversation. I don't. Nobody does. But it's always interesting to me when I bring this stuff to Twitter, how men rush to defend a man they've never met in a situation they were not in and did not see. My words, once again, mean nothing. I'm the one on trial. It's every goddamn day. It never stops. Do you understand? So when people tell me I can't perform in Alabama or Georgia, the problem of women being seen as people has not ever been solved. You know what I mean? And my job is to keep doing that. And I guess this episode took on its own theme, didn't it? Of, of this whole stuff. And there's no ads this week. I mean, I can say what I want even when there are ads, but I feel even less guilty about being a raging cuntaloo and being sick. It's like, think of this as a bonus episode. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> do you guys want to read some of the Michael Cohen trial? Because it's kind of my favorite thing. Uh, let's find one page. Okay, let's see. Uh, well, that part's boring. Let's see. Oh, all right. That's not the good part. 
Oh, hang on one sec. Okay. How about this? How about I tell you guys one thing? There's new stuff in the merchandise store. There is a t-shirt or it's available for anything. It's called Who Calls People? And I know a lot of people do call people. So do I. <coughs> it was something I said on the show once. And a bunch of people were like, that should be merch. And then I make it merch and you guys don't buy it. And then people go, I use the phone all the time. So I don't know what to fucking do anymore. But it's up there if you want it. Go to... Um, JenKirkman.com, click shop, and that'll take you to my merchandise store. Um, if you want to join the Secret Having Funlessness Facebook group, you can go to, um, oh shit, I didn't have this at the ready, but you can go to, uh, Facebook.com slash, um, shit, I don't know you guys, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go to Twitter. I don't have the fucking information. I can't find the Facebook group and I don't know what it's called, but there's facebook.com slash having funless pod or funless pod. And then from there, it tells you how to join the group. But I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't, I, I used to have this written down. Sorry, I'm, I wasn't prepared because I wasn't going to do an episode today. Um, okay, the having funlessness podcast is <clears throat> having funless pod. So facebook.com having fun less pod. And then once you're there, the pinned tweet tells you that you can join the secret group and there should be a link right there. Great. And then you can follow this podcast on Twitter by going to having, I don't fucking, funless pod, not having, but just funless pod on Twitter. And uh, there's that. So, okay, great. So I, I have to, uh, oh, I'm like sweating. I have such a fever right now. Oh my God, you guys, I have so much work to do and I just can't think straight because I'm so fucking sick. Uh, oh, I'll also tell you, uh, should I just divulge this? I guess it's not a big deal. No, maybe I shouldn't because I don't want anyone to steal my idea. What am I doing? I was going to tell you, I, I blew up what my original book was going to be about, the one that I'm trying to pitch. And um, I realized there's no there there. It's better for stand-up. It's better for scripts. But there's been a topic that I know I've been needing to write about, and people always want to talk to me about it, that I've been avoiding. And I'm like, I need to write this fucking book. I need to write an advice book about said, said this-ism. And uh, it fucking flew out of me, like the proposal and how to set up the book. And <clears throat> so I'm, I'm rewriting that proposal right now. And hopefully uh, a publishing company will buy it. We'll see. But uh, yeah, keep buying my books. That, that really helps. Um, go to Amazon and just get, I know what I'm doing. And otherwise I tell myself or I can barely take care of myself. Just get on that shit. Okay, great. Um, I know if you don't live in the country, that's okay. It doesn't count anyway if you don't. So don't worry about it. Um, so let's do this. Uh, what was I doing? Oh my God, you guys, I don't fucking feel well. I have to take my temperature because I'm sweating and I'm either in menopause or I have a fever. Why Why can't? Why not both? Um Okay, let's see. All right. 
<clears throat> I just like reading these. They're like little plays. <coughs> now, how, this is Michael Cohen testifying to Congress. Now, how much interaction did you have with Donald Trump when you worked for him at the Trump Organization on a daily basis? How many times a day? Range between 10 times a day to 20 times a day. And generally speaking, how would interactions with him be initiated? Uh, I would either get a call from one of the executive assistants that worked up by Mr. Trump's desk, whether it be Rona Graff or any of the other assistants, Mr. Trump wants to see you. So I'd walk into his office or I'd get a document that said, see me on it. Or he would sometimes just show up in my office. His office was on the 26th floor. Correct. And where was your office? On the 26th floor. Okay. Were you within shouting distance of him? No. All right. Is it fair to say that over the 10 years that you worked for Donald Trump, you built a close relationship with him? Yes. Did you also socialize with him? No. When you traveled on business, would you have meals with him? Yes. And how frequently would you travel on business with him? It wasn't often. Did you become familiar with his mannerisms? Yes. And his habits? Yes. Did you become familiar with the way in which he communicated with people? Yes. And how would you describe the manner in which he communicated with people? I don't fully understand your question. Was there a particular way you could describe how Mr. Trump engaged in conversations with people? Is, is it how you engaged in conversations with people or is it different? Different. So Mr. Trump's conversations are generally very short, unless you're talking about golf, and then you could talk about that all day long. But when he's talking about things that, even stuff that concerned him, they were never long conversations. They weren't detailed. They were basically, he would tell you what he wanted or he would tell you what he wanted you to say. So he doesn't really ask questions about things. He kind of gives you the answer in advance. As an example, he'll say, this is the greatest hamburger you've ever eaten, isn't it? Okay, yes, all right. You're not going to argue with him over it. It's just not worth it. And if you say no, it becomes an argument. So what's the point? You testified yesterday that he speaks in code. I think you called it code. And could you describe what you meant by him speaking in code? So sometimes I'd be brought in in order to negotiate on, say, a fee that somebody was going to be receiving. And he wouldn't say to me, oh, you know, make sure you get a really lowball number on it. What he would say is, Michael, go take him into the other room and, you know, just make a good deal. I know exactly what he was talking about. It wasn't about making a good deal. It was about really lowballing it. And he wanted to almost technically get it for free. How did you know what he meant? Just after years of doing it, and I'll give how. So the first time I ever did it, I probably didn't get the right number. And so when I went back into his office, he turned around, he looked and he said, it's not the, no, no good, go back and get better. So ultimately you just learn, you know, what, what numbers in certain areas that he's willing to accept. Anything that was of concern to him or any issue, he just, oh, other than stuff you've testified in about, what were, you, what we're trying to get at here is the nature of the job you had as his fixer. What, what would he ask you to do? Anything that was of concern to him or any issue he just wanted me to handle. But when you say handle, what do you mean? Okay, so as an example, there's an insurance claim in the bathroom of his apartment at Trump Tower. There was fresco on the ceiling and Melania's humidifier overflowed and it caused damage into the bathroom. So he said to me, take care of the insurance claim on this matter. Do you want a better example? Okay, we could, oh, oh, the ones with the CNBC poll that people are talking about now where I helped to rig the poll. Did he know about that? Yeah. And what did he know about that? 
So I actually, I found a document, CNBC Contenders. It says Michael C. with an arrow pointed down. Came to his office. Generally, the way that that would work was Rona or one of the young ladies in the front would send an email out to everyone in the company saying, Mr. Trump is on the contenders list. Please log on to your various devices and vote for him or one of the golf courses or what have you. And in this specific case, it was for him as one as the as one of the top business people, you know, in the world recognized. Wasn't doing very well in the poll and brought it to my attention. When it said Michael C. pointing down, what that means is come see him about it. And so I did. And I, <clears throat> and I told him that, you know, there are ways that you could play with these polls by using bots and algorithms and so on. That there's a company that I, that I know that can actually do it. And he said, well, he goes, you know, how good do you think they can do this? And I said, you know, they could do anything. It all depends on uh, how many IP addresses that you're able to, you know, to use. So he said, I want to be the number one. And I said, well, that would kind of be suspicious, don't you think? Like out of 250, I think we're like 238 or 240, something like that. And I said, it'd be kind of suspicious. How about if we just go for number nine? He says, all right, number nine is good because it was top 10. So I reached out to this company called Redfinch and they started. And we moved up like 50, 60 points in the day. And I showed him and he was pleased. And I said that we needed like another $6,000 to buy another 100,000 IP addresses. And he said, okay. And I went ahead and bought those. And then we're up to mid-30s and mid-40s and needed another like 8,000 to buy another 250,000 bots IP addresses. And I went to him and he said, okay, great. And then we finally got to number nine and then the poll closed. But CNBC had a little clause at the bottom that said that we have the right to remove anybody that we want from the poll simply because we want to. And he was very upset about it. And so was T-Boone Pickens, who was number eight. And I have an email to this effect, too, where T-Bone Pickens' assistant contacts Rona saying, should our PR people get together and do something about Mr. Pickens being removed as number eight and Mr. Trump number nine? Mr. Trump calls me and he's really upset, even though, of course... We really didn't win, but he was very upset about it. And he had me reach out to, I think his name is Mark Halloran, who is the president of CNBC. And I said to him, it's not right. You know, we're going to bring a lawsuit. You basically did this in order to get people's IP addresses so that you have more addresses for marketing. And that's just an example of something that I would say. It's not legal. It's just improper. It's not illegal. It's just improper. Some of the things that I did was reach out to individuals, whether it's law firms, small businesses and renegotiate contracts after the job was already done or basically tell them we just weren't paying at all or make them offers of say 20 cents on the dollar. Did you do things at his direction that as you sit here today you know we're wrong? Well of course it's wrong. I mean somebody does a job and they put in a bill. Many of these folks you know lost everything. One gentleman yesterday saw me on television and he wrote to me in a text message. I could send it to you and I think he was from Ohio and he said you know I remember for Trump University that I had done, I think it was printing work. I can send it to you. But he had done some work printing for Trump University, and we ended up paying only 20 cents on the dollar because Trump University had its own issues, and he ended up losing the company. <coughs> Sorry, I can't stop coughing. Uh, well, I guess that's all I have for now. I just wanted to read that because it, it pleases me, and I'm trying to please myself in this time of illness. Well, this episode, I'm sure it'll be somebody's favorite, but it is not a typical episode. It is a sick day episode. 
come see me on tour. Boston and Brooklyn are on sale for September. London, I'm coming back in October. Get on my email blast. Toronto, I'm coming back in September. I've got some more Texas dates coming. And I've got some even more dates down south coming. So just join my newsletter, jenkirkman.com. The link is right there when you go to my homepage. Or you can go to jenkirkman.com and click tour. And uh, get on the newsletter. I will be sending out more information about all of those shows once I have the information to give you. Until next week, have fun.